0: What we're going to be looking at tonight is is differences in culture, and one difference in particular is a subject called honor and shame, all right? And we're going to be talking about different cultures, and we're going to be talking about some cultures that are honor and shame cultures. We're going to be talking about our own culture, which is not an honor and shame culture. Uh, But to really get this... uh, really to get this point across, I wanted to share this, but and we'll get to that in just a second, but I also have something else to share with you. Uh, I have had some correspondence with uh, some people that I know that are overseas spreading the Word of God, and uh, about, about 15 days ago or so, I got an email from them, and it is... An email that you really don't want to get, but I wanted to share this with you, not for shock value, but because it really has to do with what we're talking about tonight. So, uh, this is what it says. Uh, this is—I can't tell you much about the situation specifics or anything like that. So, this is somewhere in the world. There's a former Muslim, and this is just a regular email that's being persecuted right now, as I type this. He is in chains and he's being driven out of town and into the desert. Pray for him. And so, as I was reading this, I was like, wow, what, is, this a, is this a pastor? Is this What kind of person is this? It's just someone who has decided to follow Christ instead of following the Muslim tradition. Instead of continuing in Islam, instead of following Muhammad, they have made a decision to follow Christ. And this is everything that has come upon him. He's in chains, he's being driven out of town into the desert. Pray that he would boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that he would know God's grace is sufficient. Pray that he would know his hope is firm in Christ who shares in his suffering and that he would rely on Christ. Pray that his witness would inspire those who harm him to believe. Pray that he would endure faithfully. Pray for uh, our colleagues as they grieve this happening to their friend. I just received an update just a few minutes ago. He was kept in the desert and he was tortured and is now meeting with his father. Please pray for him to make known the mystery of God to his father and to faithfully endure. Pray that his father will believe the gospel and many more believe. The next day, this was my email, after two and a half days of torture, he refused. I'm sorry, I guess it was two and a half days. After two and a half days of torture, he refused to deny his faith. His father decided to have him killed. He paid two soldiers that had been guarding him. To execute him. And then the father left. A family member that took the man's side tried to stop the execution and ended up killing both soldiers. He took the man and fled. They are in hiding. Please ask the father to protect him, and the name of the true God and the way of salvation through Jesus alone would be known throughout this area. Also, in recent days, uh, across uh, this large area I've heard of numerous stories Of Muslims coming to faith in Christ Pray that they are bold in their faith And more And this was the last email That I have had <clears throat> I know many of you have been eager to get an update And I'm thankful to share further information With you regarding our brother in Christ He's doing better physically He's improving and he's healing From the multi- multiple injuries he has sustained They and others are uh, nursing his wounds, praying for him, and encouraging him with God's word. They also took him to the doctor, and physically, he is getting much better. He's still in hiding and will be for a few more days. Hopefully, by next Sunday, he will reconnect with his church. Please pray for this reunion because there are other people that don't know anything about what has happened. Please pray that this would not confuse or cause fear among the other believers, but will inspire and encourage them in their young faith. He has gone through major trauma, and while his physical wounds are healing, the emotional pain will take more time. Your colleagues are already considering how to help and minister to those needs. Pray that this process helps him continue to rest in Jesus Christ alone. It's a lot different culture than you and I are living in, and that's happening, I mean, that was a a few days ago. Uh, We live, we have this privilege here in this country where we don't have to worry about anything like that. But this man lives in an honor-and-shame-based culture, and that changes everything. Did we get the video up and running? We're good. Let's look at this video, and then we'll keep going. Who's is teaching you the way of the Japanese sword. Yes, indeed. You fought against the Red Indians. Yes. Tell me of your part in this war. Why? I wish to learn. Read a book. I would rather have a good composition. Why? Because we are both students of war. Huh? So you are the general of your army? No. As a uh... Captain. This is a low rank? A middle rank. Uh, and who was your general? Don't you have a rebellion to lead? People in your country do not like conversation. He was a lieutenant colonel. His name was Custer. I know this name. He killed many warriors. So he was a good general? No. No, he wasn't a good general. He was arrogant and foolhardy. And he got massacred because he took a single battalion against 2,000 angry Indians. 2,000 Indians? How many men for Custer? 211. I like this General Custer. He was a murderer who fell in love with his own legend. And his troopers died for it. I think this is a very good death. Well, maybe you can have one just like it someday, if it is my destiny. What do you want from me? All right, so you have this clash of cultures coming together. These, these men are, uh, one is a samurai, one was, was fighting in the Civil War. Uh, one has a view of, of Custer as, as a horrible man, and the other says, no, this is, this is an honorable man. That was an honorable way to die. And for Tom Cruise's character, he says, that wasn't an honorable way to die. That was a stupid way to die. You can't confront 2,000 men with 211 and expect to win. And so you have this clash of cultures, but for the Japanese man, he was thinking in terms of honor and shame. That was a wonderful, honorable way for Custer to die, where you have the American who is thinking from his guilt-based culture, and he's saying, no, he's guilty for killing the lives of his 210 other men that died with him. That day. And so you have this clash of cultures. And I think, uh, really, in our uh, lives and in our study of the Bible, that you and I really kind of have a disadvantage when it comes to studying the Bible. Because uh, when we're looking at the scriptures, you and I are looking at the scriptures in the 21st century, right? Most of those were written, at least the New Testament was written in the first century. All right, And so that's about 1,900 years uh, since those events. And when we write, read in the scriptures about the life of Christ and things like that, what we do, without even knowing it, is we take our culture and kind of impose it on what we're reading about Jesus and his disciples and everything that happened there. Uh, parts of the Old Testament were written about 3,500 years ago. And so when we go to the scriptures, we're reading about Things that happened a long time ago that are so far outside of our context that it's really hard for us to grasp what they actually mean. Now, before I go any further, I want to assure you that when you read the Bible, you can still understand it. But I do think that when we take some things into consideration as we're reading the Scriptures... We can understand them just a little bit more. And so I don't want to say, if you don't know this, then you really aren't understanding the Bible. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when we do know some things about the Bible, it will help kind of illuminate some of the other things that we're reading. I don't know if it would surprise you to think that Middle Eastern culture in 2019 is much more closely related to the culture uh, of biblical times, maybe New Testament times or Old Testament times even, uh, than our own culture. And I know that when we're reading the Bible, we just don't think about some of these things, but it really makes a difference on how you interpret things. I was recently reading an article on uh, adoption uh, in, in Paul's time, and adoption in Paul's time was so much different from how you and I think of adoption. When we think of adoption, we think of a family who wants to help a child, right? And so they bring him in as their own, all right? In Paul's time, nobody thought like that. In fact, you didn't adopt children at all. And so just that one little nuance changes. Wow, when, when I read about Paul talking about adoption and our adoption as sons, I never thought of anything else besides adopting a child into my family and caring for them. Uh, but it was a whole nother thing uh, in Paul's day. So I think the best example that I can give you to help you understand how culture is different and how your culture influences you uh, is with some sunglasses, all right? And I have uh, a whole bunch of sunglasses. These are actually lost and found sunglasses. So if I pick up a pair that's actually yours, uh, you can come and get those after we're done. Uh, So these are pretty cool. Um, Let's just say that this is American culture, Each one of us has been raised in an American culture. We know this culture in and out. When we go to other cultures, we feel strange. I don't know if you've ever had that opportunity. But everything you see is affected by how you've grown up. It affects the way you think, the way you think uh, about things, the way you think about people, the way you do things, the way you treat people. Everything is affected by the culture that you've been brought up in. And so when we are looking from from our own culture, we have these lenses that we're seeing everything through. So if I go to another country, I'm interpreting everything that I'm seeing with my American lenses on, if that makes sense. Does that help make sense a little bit? And every culture has their own lenses through which they see everything. All right? I, I uh, mentioned earlier that I've been to Argentina. Argentina says, sees things differently. They don't see through American lenses, they see through Argentine lenses. They see using, they, they talk differently. They use Spanish. Uh, they think about, their food is different. They think about life differently than we do. They think about God differently. Their lenses color everything. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but as you go out these doors on either side, uh, as you go into that little vestibule area, it used to be really bright. In fact, I think before the very first service that we had here, we're like, it's too bright. Too much light comes in from that little vestibule. We've never seen it too bright because we put, this is a secret, all right? We <laughs> stuck blue little like lenses over the lights to tint that light and to make it darker in there. And so every time you go into that vestibule, whether you know it or not, you're seeing things with a blue color. Everything you see is a little bluer in there than it is in here, because we have decided to change the way you see that room, all right? Uh, there's, other, there's other cultures. This is, this is, a, this is a nice culture. Chinese, things have, uh, Chinese people have their own way of looking at things. Do I look good in these? I probably will put these back for sure. The other ones I was going to keep. Uh, <laughs> Each culture has their own way of doing things and their own way of seeing things. Um, yeah, these are pretty nice. Maybe this is a Middle Eastern culture. Maybe somebody had mentioned Iran. Iran, uh, Iran. they have their own lenses through which they interpret everything that is going on around them. All right? They see things differently than you or I do. And so it shouldn't really surprise us that when we get to the Bible, the people who are writing the Bible saw things a lot differently than you and I see them. They don't have the same understanding that we have in the 21st century that they did in the 1st century or B.C., all right? And so they have their own lenses. Their lenses might be so different from ours that maybe... It's like they're, they're not even looking through any kind of lens at all. It's just so vastly different. Now, do they still have that lens? Absolutely. But it's so different from our lens today. And so when we go to the Bible and we look at different passages, we want to see how they saw it so that we don't misunderstand it. All right? So really... Uh, <clears throat> There's three different kinds of culture in the world today, and I'm going to talk about these uh, pretty briefly, but I'm hoping that you're going to be able to grasp exactly what I'm talking about here. We, in the Western world, all right, that includes Canada, that includes a lot of Europe, that includes the United States, we have a guilt-based culture. all right. Anybody ever felt guilty before? About anything, yeah. I mean, we're trained by our parents to feel guilty when we do something wrong. I work on that daily with my children, trying to provoke—no, <laughs> I'm just kidding—guilt uh, in their lives. But uh, we live in this guilt-based culture, and you could also call it a guilt or innocence. Either you're innocent or you're guilty. Culture, all right. That's really how we operate on everything. And so when uh, when one of my children does something wrong, I talk to them about the thing they did wrong, and I hope that they can see in themselves, you know, I did do something wrong. I'm not innocent of this. Or sometimes I'll say, man, what did you do to your sister? And they'll say, I didn't do anything, I swear. And I'll say, are you, are you telling me the truth? And they say, yes, I'm, I'm not guilty of anything. And our whole culture is driven around this guilt or innocence. And so we live in this guilt based culture, innocent or guilty. We feel guilt and we change our actions. Or maybe we don't even do something because we know if we do it, we're going to feel guilty, right? Have you ever done that? Yeah, absolutely. You're saying, okay, I, I was going to do that, but if I do that, I know I'm going to feel guilty, so I'm just not going to do it so I can avoid the guilt because our culture hates guilt. Somebody in our culture might uh, ask this question. I kind of tried to figure out what's the, the most horrible thing I could think of to talk about today and uh, to, to use an example of sin, and this is what I came up with, uh, killing a butterfly, okay? Could you do something more wrong? <laughs> or taking the wings off a of butterfly. Uh, we have an offender that's killed some butterflies in here. I'm not going to mention any names, though. Um, but so, if if somebody is talking about this, killing a butterfly in a guilt-based culture, this is what they're going to say. How will I be affected if I kill the butterfly? So, if I kill the butterfly, how is that going to affect me? Am I going to feel guilt? And they may or may not do that action because of the guilt that they're going to feel. Many people live in fear-based cultures, okay? These are maybe cultures like in Africa, have animistic beliefs. That means they're worshiping spirits and things like that. They think a lot differently. They think, if I do something, how is it going to externally affect me? What are the repercussions of what I'm going to do? So they might say, if I kill a butterfly what calamity is going to happen to me from the spirit world? They're always kind of looking over their shoulder. They're always trying to appease gods or something like that. You could also put dictatorial societies in this category that would say, if I do this, I will be in very big trouble and harm will come to me because of who is above me, if that makes sense. So that's a fear-based culture. Uh, there's a lot of cultures still uh, living in fear-based uh, people living in fear-based cultures today. Others live in a shame-based culture, and you'll also hear this called honor and shame, like I've said already before. But this shame-based culture will not do, I'm sorry, they will do or not do things based on the idea that shame will be placed on them, and it will affect their family and their community. So about the same thing about the butterfly, they would say, how will my family be affected if I kill a butterfly, isn't that weird? We don't think like that. We are very individualistic in our society and we don't usually think about how what I do is gonna affect the greater population or even sometimes we don't even think how what I do is gonna affect my family or my coworkers, okay? But there's, there's cultures and this is the culture that's actually uh, mentioned many times in the Bible uh, that there are these cultures that operate in groups, Operate in families. And the family takes precedent over the individual. We would say the opposite. The individual takes precedent over the family. That's why our kids move away and go to college. That would never happen in an honor and shame-based culture because they say, how could I leave my family? Do you know how it will affect my family if I leave to go to college? It will affect them negatively. They won't have anybody to uh, care for all of the animals. They're not going to have anybody. But they think this way. I will bring shame upon my family if I go and do something like that. So they don't fixate on right and wrong, but what brings honor and shame. I don't know if you uh, saw in the video. Tom Cruise's character was only concerned about right and wrong. He didn't care about anything else. Now, for the Japanese man, the the samurai, he was thinking from this honor and shame-based culture, and he's thinking, okay, I understand what you're saying, but... What he did brought honor to his nation. It doesn't matter that he was killed. It doesn't matter that he got other people killed. He was bringing honor to his nation by dying. So they don't fixate on uh, right and wrong. A man in a shame-based Muslim culture may kill the person who ashamed them. All right. The letter that I read. There was a man, he accepted Christ. His father found out that he had accepted Christ... Okay, when a Muslim accepts Christ, guess what that brings on the entire family? Shame, big time. And so the father decides, I have to do what I have to do to restore honor to my family because he has shamed us and he shamed us publicly. And so he pays two men to take this man out and kill him. Somehow it was foiled. The plan didn't work. But you see, it wasn't the rightness or the wrongness of killing a person. That wasn't even a question. In fact, they would probably agree with you to kill somebody is a bad thing. And if they killed someone for nothing, they would have guilt as well. But that was so overweighed by the fact that shame has been placed on our family. It doesn't matter that I have to take a life because I will bring honor back to my family by doing something that other people from other cultures might think is dishonorable. And so this Muslim father, what he's thinking is, this is the way that I remove the shame from my whole family, and we will be honored again. And no one is going to condemn him in that culture for killing his own child after coming to faith. Why? Because the child brought shame on the family. So uh, one thing I do want to say... Uh, about this is that all cultures have aspects of the other. So it's not like in an honor and shame-based culture, you nobody understands what guilt is. Everybody understands what guilt is still, but they don't operate that way. This man would have never been found guilty of killing his son because he brought honor to his family by doing it. So he wouldn't have been considered guilty. <clears throat> a man in a shame-based oriental culture if they have been shamed, may kill themselves. You've seen that in samurai movies, right? They take a katana blade and they run themselves through. Why? Because in some way they feel that they have, been, they, that they have shamed their nation. Uh, that's, what happened to, that's what happens with POWs, right? We see World War II movies. If you captured a Japanese prisoner, the, uh, often the Japanese prisoner would want to commit suicide because of the shame of being captured. We don't really have that. We don't want to be captured, obviously, but we would feel guilty for that, but we probably wouldn't take our own lives for it, because that's not what our culture dictates, So for the most part, if we want to understand Scripture, I think we really need to understand the shame-based culture. I think it really helps us to understand what the New Testament writers were talking about. I think it helps us understand what the Old Testament writers were talking about. Uh, And so just having this idea in our heads can really shape uh, how we read something. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we need to put down our own glasses. I can't even remember what our American glasses were. They were these... Sometimes we have to say, okay, when I'm coming to Scripture, when I'm reading something from 1,000 or 2,000 years ago, what I need to do is take off my American lenses and try to think a little bit more like a biblical culture, how they thought. I'm going to try and see things as much as I can the way that they saw them, all right? And so uh, that's kind of what I do when I go to the Scriptures. I try to think, okay, am I just having like, some American viewpoint of what I'm reading, or is what I'm reading really what happened? And am I understanding it correctly? So what I want to do... Is uh, look at when the scribes and the Pharisees tried to shame Jesus publicly, in Matthew 15, and instead Jesus turns it all around and he shames them. All right, now don't forget these both of these people that we're going to be talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, all of them, and Jesus. They all grew up in this shame, this guilt. I'm sorry, this honor and shame culture, and so they know it. They know how it works. And listen. Don't ever think that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't always trying to publicly shame Jesus Christ so that no one would listen to what he had to say. Their their goal was to shame Christ publicly so that publicly everyone would deny him and say, this guy is off of his rocker. And that was really what they were living for, is to catch him... uh, And try and publicly shame them. So uh, let's go ahead and look at this text. This is uh, Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Just to give you a little bit of context for this... um, it says that it's, uh, if, you, if you look just back a few verses, uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He has just walked on water, and then he goes to a place called Gennesaret, and there is where he, uh, <clears throat> is where really our story takes place. And so... Uh, let's just kind of get into this, and let's see what this is. This place, Gennesaret, was about 115 miles from Jerusalem, all right? That's a pretty big walk back from back in the day. Maybe uh, they got there a different way, but they definitely didn't get there like we get to places today. So this is what it says. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they made a 115-mile trip so that they could try and shame Jesus publicly, It says, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? So right there, right away, we see that these guys are trying to set Jesus up to publicly shame him. And they think, okay, Jesus needs to honor the tradition of our elders. And he's not doing it. So what we're going to do, because what we've taught has now taken root in the culture. Everybody is probably... Probably, if they're not washing their hands before they eat, they know they probably should because society had been, had been basically told, if you don't do this, you're not honoring God and you're not honoring the elders. And so they thought, all right, we found a good way to trick and trap Jesus. We're going to publicly shame him. We're going to show everybody here that Jesus doesn't honor the elders by what he's doing. And his disciples, they don't do it either. So let's keep, uh, let's keep reading. <clears throat> Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. What a petty thing to be so concerned about, right? But it was a petty thing that had taken root in the culture, and they knew if they could get Jesus, if they could shame him publicly about this, then his ministry would begin to fall apart because he, they, he could, they could show that Jesus cared nothing about the traditions of the elders, And Jesus was really in a hard spot right here. Uh, had he just stopped speaking, if, if, actually, if he never would have replied to them, they probably would have succeeded in shaming him. And right now, for anyone looking on the scene who's hearing this, Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, they're thinking, well, he better have a good answer for this because this is unacceptable. So this is uh, verse 3. He answered them. Why do you break the commandment of God? Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So right here, Jesus really takes the stakes and he makes them a lot bigger. He says, all right, you're going to try and shame me over not following the traditions of the elders? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it one step higher, a lot higher. And I'm going to show you how you're not honoring God in, the, in what you're doing. All right? And so we have this idea of honor, okay? And this idea of honor and shame, it was basically a merit system, okay? You could be born into honor if you had a really rich family or that was well-spoken of, that maybe you had a government official. You would kind of get automatic honor. And you could do things that would take uh, take some of that honor away. It's kind of like everybody just kind of keeps tally marks on everybody else. It's like, okay, public opinion of me is what now? Uh, you know, these days, you pretty much uh, base that on how many followers you have on Instagram or something like that. It's, it's this idea that every single thing you do will make your opinion in the greater society go up of you or down they will think less of you or they will think more of you by every single thing that you're doing and the Pharisees and the scribes they just want to trap Jesus and they want to shame him and take away the honor that he has been gaining through the things that he has been doing and so he takes up the stakes we aren't <clears throat> we aren't talking about eating with dirty hands anymore now Jesus is talking about a commandment of God not a commandment of man A commandment of man is meant to bring honor to man. A commandment of God is meant to bring honor to God. If we break the commandments of man, maybe we shame a man. If we break the commandments of God, maybe we are shaming God. So he takes it up to this next level. The Pharisees are trying to shame Jesus on this elder tradition uh, that society has begun to buy into. Jesus takes it to this whole other level, and he says, all right, if you want to shame me publicly on hand-washing, I'm going to shame you publicly on one of the, the most basic commandments of God. And we've, we've heard this one. It's actually an honor-slash-shame commandment. It's honor your mother and your father. We'll continue reading here. For God commanded, Jesus said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anybody tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me, I have given to God. He needs not honor his father. So for the sake of your man-made tradition, you have made void the word of God. So Jesus says, listen, if you think I've broken a command of the elders, you've broken one of God. And there's going to be a lot less leniency on that one because not only have you shamed men, but you've also shamed God. And in front of all of these people who are watching, Jesus turns the tables on these scribes and these Pharisees. Then he calls them hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. So these people were known as honoring God in their society and in their culture. And Jesus knew their hearts. These aren't people who are honoring God and the things they're doing. They look like they're honoring God, but they're not honoring God. They're shaming God in everything that they do. And then Jesus uh, says something else in verse six. I don't know if you ever imagined Jesus telling you, guess what? You're in the Bible. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? If he was like, all right, hey, Joe, I just want to tell you, you're in the Bible. That's basically what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, you know what? Isaiah the prophet talked about you, scribes and Pharisees. And you know what? They weren't jumping up and down about it like I would be. I'd be like, sweet, I'm in the Bible. Everybody's going to know my name. I don't know. I don't ever do that, okay? I never thought about that before. But these guys, Jesus is telling them right then and there, listen. Isaiah prophesied about people like you. He says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're honoring me with their lips. They think they're they're praising me, they think they're worshiping me and the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing, but the reality is they shame me with their deeds. Their hearts are far from me. They're they're saying that they're worshiping me, but their hearts are so far from me. Their deeds and their actions are not bringing honor to my name. They're shaming my name and they're shaming themselves. And then he says, in vain do they worship me. They teach as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus brings all of this to a close and, and has publicly shamed these men who have come to publicly shame him. And in the public eye now, no one is thinking Jesus has shamed anyone. Everyone is thinking these scribes and these Pharisees have shamed themselves and they've brought dishonor to God. When everything that they're supposed to do is to honor him, they have failed to do it. And in public opinion that day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they went home with their heads Held low, with their heads down, because they knew that they had brought shame on God because Jesus had trapped them. So, why is it important for us to see some of these things? And probably next week, if I have time, we'll get into the book of Philemon and look at how Paul used this honor and shame-based culture to uh, to really get exactly what was right and honorable done in the Colossian church. It's actually really neat. Uh, So we'll go into that probably next week. But why is this important? Because we always have these lenses on. And every single thing that we read, we interpret the exact same way. We would say, these people were guilty of breaking the the law of God, which is true. It's not to say that that's not true, but there's also more to it. They weren't honoring the name of God, which was the one thing that they were... Known for doing, basically. And instead of doing that, they're bringing shame to God. And Jesus turns the tables on them and helps them see, listen, you're not everything that you think you are. You're not doing the things that you think you're doing. You're actually doing the opposite. And in this honor and shame-based culture, that doesn't fly. And he was able to show them and all of the crowd around that what they were doing was absolutely wrong. So hopefully, the next time you pick up your Bible, maybe you can think, I wonder if if I'm thinking about whatever I'm reading correctly. Am I thinking of it from just a 100% American lenses that I always wear? Or can I try to put those lenses down? And that's a hard thing for us to do. Uh, it's hard for us to be like, okay, I'm going to, everything that I know and the way that I think and everything else, the way that I interpret scripture, I'm going to try and And pull those down a little bit and try and see how the person that was writing this was actually thinking. Maybe I'm going to try and put myself in that culture a little more instead of bringing that culture and putting them in 2019 with us here today. And probably you'll uh, see some things. There's there's some really good books. There's one called Misinterpreting Scripture uh, with Western Eyes. Uh, and it's actually a guy on the cover with blue lenses. (laughs) Uh, But it's a really good book if you kind of want to read up a little more into it. We'll talk about this a little more next week, and then uh, the next week we'll look at another passage uh, kind of in this honor and shame context. So thank you guys for coming. I hope you guys have a great night. I know some of you have Awana kids in there. You still have about 23 minutes before uh, you have to start feeding them and caring for them again. (laughs) All right, you guys have a good night.